Welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. I'm Arm Layton, he's Jack McMullen, and we promise to keep it under an hour today because we're talking about topics finally. It's nice to kind of get back into the flow of what's going on in minor league baseball and what's going on in the prospect world and fly through some different topics. Don't get me wrong, I love talking about these farm systems. I love breaking them down for an hour and a half, sometimes more than that. But I do miss the fresh topical things. And that's what we're going to do today, Jack, because we've got some fun stuff. We've got a trade that involves several notable prospects, including, you know, a fringe top 100 guy and Gabriel Gonzalez between the Twins and the Mariners. That was, of course, headlined by Jorge Polanco. We have a pre MLB, right? We we talk about pre arb. How about pre debut contract for Colt Keith and the Tigers? What that looks like, what we think about that deal. And then finally, we're going to discuss some other players that could kind of fit that bill and with the pre-debut contract starting to become more common and more accepted by teams, who are some players that can fit that bill and who are some players, or I guess what are the criteria of those players that we should be looking for? If, if you're a team, you know, what are the things that make you feel safe in investing in a player who hasn't debuted yet? Jack has his thoughts on, on what those, Aspects of a player, maybe I have mine. We're going to see what the overlap is, because so far it's kind of been all over the place in terms of the profile and types of players that get those deals. But I think we're going to start to see a more common trend. And Colt Keith might be indicative of that. But Jack, some fun topics as we kind of fly through some more happenings you know, in the minor leagues. And I think there's going to be some more prospects moved soon. It feels like baseball season, which is really nice with this kind of episode where it's 40, 40 to 45 minutes. And, you know, we're going to kind of bounce around a couple of news stories on the minor league baseball front. And that's what we're going to do three times a week when the season comes around. And like, trust me, by August or September, I think you and I are both clamoring for top 10. It's like, hey, I, I we want to do more position rankings and organizational rankings and things like that. Top prospects and all that. The grass is always greener. And now it's like, okay, we can get away from the top 15 Orioles prospects and Red Sox prospects. And we can go to, hey, this guy just got traded. How does he fit in in his new digs? Yeah. And and that's exactly where we'll start because this was a fun one. Um, Again, I'm hoping for more trades because this is just it makes the conversation more fun. It, It makes things more interesting in terms of you know, the way you can look at prospects and and maybe why a team would be willing to part with them, why a team would be willing to acquire them. And, and I think this is a perfect example of that because we've talked about Gabriel Gonzalez and he was one of the guys that when we talked about the Mariners top prospects, we spent a good amount of time on him. And, and if you know somebody wants to go back, if you're listening, go back and check out that episode. A lot of the concerns There was a lot of positive, obviously. He's a French top 100 prospect. He was a top 100 prospect for us at the end of the top 100 or at the end of the season last year. But he was a guy that was probably right on the chopping block as we went into uh, 2024. And as we're formulating our list for 24, he's a guy that might just miss or might just sneak in just to give you an idea. He's going to probably slot right in that 90 to 110, 115 range. And the big reason why, and we'll get into that, is kind of just this tweener profile and, and some... I guess, yellow flags that are some concerns before we get into those specifics. I'll just kind of break down the trade here that sent Jorge Polanco to Seattle. We will talk about the big league implications more on the just baseball show. I will say just just in short, though, you can see why the, the Mariners were willing to make this move and willing to give up some some intriguing pieces because Polanco, when healthy, 
is is everything that they needed, especially at second base where they've had a bit of a hole there. They've been plugging and playing, trying to find guys to to fill in there. We thought it might be Ryan Bliss. Uh, we thought it, it might be Rojas at some points. Like we weren't sure who was going to end up slotting in there. Arias seemed like an option at one point. So now they have a guy that can be an all star when healthy. But they had to give up a little bit to get him. They they give up Gabriel Gonzalez, who is French top one hundred guy, easily a top ten prospect in their system. Probably would have slotted in the six to seven range after the draft and some of the guys that have performed really well. Uh, but then they also give up Anthony Descofani, which I think is probably viewed as, as a net negative asset, which I think is a little bit interesting because innings eaters and, and just mediocre pitching seems to be going for about $12 million, which is yeah. what Disco is owed this coming year. So I thought that part was interesting, but they also get Justin Topa, who's a solid reliever. That's going to yeah. be going over to Minnesota as well. And then Darren Bowen, Darren Bowen's a, a popular name in the, I think very analytical circles that the, the people that are very into pitch shape and pitch design and things like that, because Bowen does check some of those boxes. So Bowen is an intriguing arm to get thrown into this package as well uh, while you're already getting Gabriel Gonzalez. So the two prospects being Gonzalez and Bowen, we'll talk about Gonzalez probably a little bit more. And then Bowen tell you a little bit about, you know, what you need to know about him as a pitcher. And then to, to get two big league pieces, though, they get some pitching depth and, and Descofani, which is much needed because Chris Paddock's probably going to end up grabbing a spot in that rotation. Now you have, you know, another insurance policy and just another arm there. And then, as I mentioned, Topa being that other bullpen arm for them. But we're here to talk about prospects. And right. I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter, Jack, that were kind of puzzled by the idea that the Mariners would part with Gonzalez. And, you know, this is a top 100 prospect. Why would you move him? He was one of the most productive teenagers last year. All of those things are true. But I also think the fact that they that the Mariners were willing to move him kind of validated a lot of our concerns. And you can go back to that episode where we talk about the Mariners' top prospects. And the, the genesis of the conversation was, this is a big guy. Six foot, 225 pounds. He is pretty maxed out physically, right? Unless you can kind of convert some of that weight into muscle. He's already a pretty strong guy, though. The EVs just are are not great. What really has made him productive is that he has a fantastic feel to hit. And that's the part that I think gets undersold. I've seen hit grades that are below average and then power grades that are plus. I think it's totally backwards. I can see if you look at him as a player and maybe you just look at the stat sheet. Yeah, I, I could understand why you might think that. But really, I think the hit tool is above average and the power is kind of fringy. And that's the problem because he's slowed down a little bit. He's going to be limited to a corner. It's not even great defense in a corner. It's, it's kind of average at best. He's got a great arm, which helps. So you, you figure he plays right. But a 90th percentile exit velocity of 101.5 miles per hour. He's young, but young usually correlates to, okay, he can get more physical. He can, he can fill out his frame. Gonzalez is filled out, man. Like maybe he, he matures and, and adds some, some man strength, but how much, I think the concern is how much power is he going to hit for? He's extremely aggressive, a chase rate that, you know, flirted with 40%. And we saw that those red flags kind of rear their head and his, his batted ball data normalized. You know, I, I would say his, his production normalized with the underlying batted ball data kind of catching up to him. It was a limp to the finish line for Gonzalez. I'm not saying he's a bad prospect. Again, he's a fringe top 100 guy, but I wanted yeah. to explain for some people 
why the Mariners may be willing to move him. You look at some of their other pieces. Gonzalez looks like he could be a bit of a tweener and he's going to have to really hit. Yes. And he's not surplus right now. If you look at him in the grand scheme, of the Seattle Mariners, but based on who they extend, who they don't extend, Gabby Gonzalez can quickly become surplus. It seems you've got a guy that is a corner outfielder. Okay. Let's think about the outfield assortment for the Seattle Mariners for the foreseeable future. And, and this is something that I'm sure crossed Jerry DePoto's mind when he was thinking about the main piece to attach, to go get Jorge Polanco. Okay. Gonzalez is going to play right or left. Julio Rodriguez is our guy for the next decade and a half. Hopefully his entire career that knocks off one outfield spot. If they do make the decision to extend Cal Raleigh, Harry Ford will make the move to the outfield. You put him somewhere else, that's two spots right there. And then all of a sudden, you've got this gluttony of middle infield prospects. Colt Emerson, Cole Young. If that's your middle infield, what do you do with Samad Taylor, who's got six more years of control, who you just acquired for cash considerations? That guy is like a burner, legit. He is an outfielder all of a sudden. You've got other guys. What are we going to do with J.P. Crawford? He's under control for the next four years. Okay, if Colt Emerson gets up, all of a sudden you've got that guy in the outfield fold. Ty Pete, what happens there? Not to mention, you just drafted Johnny Farmello, who looks like he could be a future big league outfielder. Lazaro Montes is probably a better prospect mm-hmm. at this point in a corner outfield spot than Gabby Gonzalez. There are too many names that I just threw out that could get in the way of a guy that they may just be better than to warrant holding him for the sake of having your right fielder of the future. There's no promise that he's the right fielder of the future. There's more space in the Twins organizational depth chart for Gonzalez to flourish. He could run out of space in Seattle. I I agree. And I think that's a really good kind of just embodiment of of the situation. And then you also look at they they overslotted Aiden Smith. In the in the fourth round of this year's draft, a guy that I know they like and they're they're really intrigued by the upside, both from a hit and, and speed perspective. They also still have Jonathan Class A, who again, I think a lot of people would probably take Gonzalez over him, but it's just another name in the fold that you could be you know okay with with moving another outfielder because you have class A. And the biggest thing for me is all of the guys that you mentioned, especially the outfielders, except for Montes. They provide something beyond just, you know, the bad. I think they're athletic, especially Farmelo. Uh, and 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 Montes is the one guy you look at, okay, limited to a, a meh corner at best. But when I look at a deal like this, you don't want to give up the guy that you are going to like regret, right? You, you don't want to be that Jordan, we traded Jordan kind of guy. And Lazaro Montes is, is the kind of guy that I'm checking at, even after the trade. If I'm a front office guy, I'm checking every month, just hoping that it doesn't all come together because you know, you're know you just going to have nightmares about that, right? Like that, that's going to be something that could come back and bite you. I look at Gabby Gonzalez. I, I see a path where it's like, oh man, you know, I, we, I wish we held on to him and traded class A instead, but I don't really know if I see a situation where it's like, how in the world did we give this guy up? He's a perennial all-star because the path to him being a really good big leaguer, it, it, it needs to be one of two things. He needs to add a ton of power and not a ton. I'd say multiple ticks in the EV department, a max of 108. He's 20 years old now. How much more is he going to add? He's got to add a, a, almost a full notch power wise, or he needs to become a plus hitter. And I think that might be the more realistic outcome because even when he struggled in high A, zone contact was still at 85%. Overall contact was at 75%. And that's with a 37% chase rate. You imagine he cuts down the chase rate. Those contact rates could you know, 
start to tri- trickle up towards you know plus territory. But now you have a plus hitter with limited defensive value, can't run much, and you know average power ish. It's a weird profile, and I think that was enough for the Mariners to say, I don't know how this profile looks, and if he has a bad year this year or just doesn't, if he hits 260, 275 with yeah. average home run output, what's his value at that point? Now he's t- going to be 21 years old. So I think this was the time for them to capitalize, and I look at, you know, you mentioned the outfielder specifically. How about just the names in general that I just would not move uh, before Gonzalez? Of course, Cole Young, Harry Ford, Colt Emerson, add Michael Arroyo to that. I would not move mm-hmm. Arroyo. I would move Gonzalez before him. So that kind of shows you where we think Arroyo is. Again, another fringe top 100 guy for me. Felonine Celestin, I've, we've barely seen him play, but they paid a lot of money for him, and he's a crown Thomas. jewel of the IFA class. They're, they're not going to move him. Uh, and, and those are all guys that I think are, are ahead. Ty Pete, they just drafted. I think his upside is, is much more immense. Probably not going to move him. And then you get to the other side of it. I think the twins probably preferred Gonzalez over class A. They probably preferred Gonzalez over, you know, some of the other names that would have been floated. I don't know Lockwear versus Gonzalez. I it's close because again, I've I've soured on Gonzalez more and more as I've kind of just dug into it, watched more and and seen these red flags that it's a good get for Minnesota in this deal, right? You're trading a guy that's owed. 23 million if you pick up both his options and and a half and that didn't have a spot like Julianne was going to be the second baseman coming into the year. They needed to create space for Julianne and Royce Lewis. How do you do that? You take Jorge Polanco out of the fold. Do you want to pay 23 million for a utility guy for the next two years? Their answer was no. So they decided to move him. Yeah, exactly. And, And I think from that lens, Look, you're not trading an asset with years and years of control no. at you know the league minimum. You're trading an asset that's below you know his market value with the two years of control. But you know it's not like it's not like this is a, a major major asset. So I think getting Gonzalez is is a great get, and there's still a path. Like I see like a Jesus Aguilar type of production. I know Aguilar had bursts of like big home run seasons in Milwaukee, yeah. but just in kind of the middling range where it was. Average power, you'd think there would be way more power, but there's just not Uh, like a guy that just looks like he should be hitting for more power than he does. Um, And but at the same time, makes good contact, maybe a little bit more aggressive than you'd like to see. I I could see something along those lines uh, in the like kind of second tier seasons of, of Aguilar. If he can, you know, improve the conditioning a little bit, be more agile, that would definitely help. Uh, so you never know what can happen. At the end of the day, he just turned 20 uh, on January 4th. So there's plenty of time to to work these things out. But I do think that it's worth noting that the Mariners probably had some concern with what they saw over the final 40 games, which was him hitting 186, 253, 293, and those chase yeah. rates really rearing their head and a lot more you know batted balls on the ground. So gr- great get, though, in a vacuum, because he's not the only player they got. They also got a, a great bullpen piece in Topa. They get pitching depth. They get a guy in Gonzalez who, you know, you never know with prospects. It's so fluid. But I also think with the Mariners, they probably cashed in at the perfect time because it, it could kind of keep trending downwards for him. Um, do you have any other thoughts on, on Gonzalez? I, I do want to say, again, the, the, the bat to ball really gets undersold for him. And if he is able to cut down on the chase, I think it'll allow the game power to play up more because pitchers were just throwing him stuff down and saying, roll over. I don't care. And he was rolling over a lot more in high A. But he doesn't strike out much. 
he, again, has a really good ability to spray the ball to all fields. He could be a doubles machine when it's all said and done. He's still a very solid prospect that needs to sort some things out. I'd be a lot more comfortable if he provided value defensively or had a little bit more power projection, but I will never cap a player this this young and a lot can still change. He could just get shredded o- o- over the offseason and something could change. So I right. still think being able to get a guy that has a feel for the barrel like this is always a good thing, especially in a deal like this that helped your big league team too. Yeah. My thing is um, like last thing I have on Gonzalez and then I have a couple of questions about Darren Bowen. The last thing on Gabby Gonzalez on my end is I, I do feel like this guy was the best of the rest in the Mariners organization mm-hmm. where you walk through like Young, Ford, Emerson, they're not going anywhere. Class A, too close in proximity. Michael Arroyo, you clumped in. Celestin, you clumped in. But like Gabby Gonzalez or Farmelo, which one are you moving? You just drafted Farmelo. You like the idea of Farmelo. You hold on to him. Ty Pete, same exact conversation as Farmelo. The one that I got to, yeah, you mentioned Locklear, but like Montes, I'm I'm almost clumping Montes in with a Celestin. Just because what of the upside. Yeah, what you've seen is too good. This guy's at 1,000 OPS. He's driven in 100 in his first 120 minor league games, and he's hitting 200 or 300 with a, what, 440 OBP, 430 yeah. OBP? It's ridiculous. So, like, all of a sudden, your options of movable good prospects are limited to Gonzalez, Locklear. Nobody, like, Bliss isn't getting you that much. Like, that's the thing, man. You run out of options quickly when you think about who you like more and who you're willing to part with. So I thought he was the best of the rest. Mm-hmm. And and if I'm the twins in their situation, I'd prefer, uh, I think I'd prefer Gonzalez over Locklear just because of, he's a of, first baseman. Yeah, you look at their situation, I think it makes more sense for them. And and you got more time for Gonzalez to develop, to, to mold him, whereas Locklear... He is what he is, and you're just going to hope that he runs into enough power and figures it out. And, you know, some people might be put off by that that swing a little we, bit. Like, we've got Matt Walner at home. Like, yeah, obviously, exactly. Locklear is better than Walner, I think, in terms of like a bat-to-ball type player. Yeah, but Walner hits the living crap out of the baseball, and so. like he's done it now at higher levels. So I agree. Like, you're getting a hit over everything guy that you know, they don't really have a ton of in that system. At no. least at the upper levels, they've started to add more to the fold. Of course, you have Brooks Lee and other guys, but in the outfield, it's kind of been a lot of the Larnick and, and Walner types. So we'll get into Darren Bowen real quick. Uh, yeah. And I think this was a really good ID by by the Twins. I think this was just a great trade by the Twins. Don't get me wrong. The, the Mariners, they upgraded their big league team. That's great. But I, I don't want to undersell what the Twins were able to do here because you know they, they are also able to get an upside pitching prospect that uh, I, I, it's early. The numbers were kind of a mixed bag for him in low A. Well, he's a Division II pitcher from North Carolina. Pembroke. Pembroke. Yeah. Yep. I, and I, I like I'm always interested in those guys that just have this this straight arrow upwards and have something click for him. Like he wasn't even starting for UNC Pembroke until the the back end of the season. So a guy that just the results were not always there, but a data darling in a lot of ways. So it was always going to be a little bit of a slower burn for him as a professional. And I thought we saw some good things uh, through the beginning of the year. Then his velocity tapered off as he started to, again, this guy didn't really start much you know, through the early parts of his career, but some intriguing aspects to the, to the pitch shapes and things like that. So uh, yeah. What, what, what was your question as it pertains to Darren Bowen? And then we can kind of fill in the rest. It had to do with pitch shape. 
Yeah. Like he was pretty much a full-time starter this past year, first year of pro Bowl, but 19 appearances spent 55 innings. So there wasn't much to speak of there. He was working in three inning, four inning spurts, nine and a half punch outs per nine, four walks per nine. I'm just curious, like, what is the pitch that eats for him? What pitch is his ticket to the big leagues? Fastball. Okay. Uh, so he's, if you look at the delivery too, it's, it's, he's skinny. He's loose. He's a good athlete. And it's just a very easy delivery. It It's one of those unique ones too, where like the, the arm, it, it feels like he doesn't take it back that far. Cause it's like one quick pullback and he just slings it from this, somewhat it seems lower than it really is release point and the ball just takes off so it's got this kind of somewhat flat approach angle i don't think anything jumps off of the page but it just seems to get on hitters quickly especially when he was throwing it at 93 to 95 so through his first seven appearances he averaged just a hair under 95 miles an hour and the results were just bullying guys with the fastball it's a small sample right this is only 39 batters i'll I'll expand it to, to 10 games in his first 10 outings, he faced 67 batters. In-zone whiff rate on the fastball of 30%, swinging strike rate at 18%. Like those are things that that clearly the fastball is just deceiving them. Then working off of that is 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 a good curveball that he commands pretty well and a slider that's flashed as well. I, I don't know if it all works out for him as a starter. I think he's going to be one of those guys that just like he's going to be 25 and you're still looking at him like he's 22 because he's such a young pitcher in terms of yeah. pitching years and pitching experience. But if I'm able to get that guy is basically a throw in in this deal. I think it's a really intriguing arm to get. And look, if he's not able to hold the VLO, if he's not able to, to really handle that starters workload, he could be a really good reliever with that fastball sitting in the mid nineties. Cause it did, you know, when he was coming in relief, you know, coming out of the bullpen in the early parts of the season. And yeah. then that breaking ball really tunnels well off of it. And I, I, I'm looking at some of the outings out of the gate when he was relieving. His so his first six appearances were all in relief or like in in a start where he was then just pull it after an inning or two. Went eight and a thirds innings, one hit, no runs. This was in low A, three walks, fifteen Ks. So he was just overpowering low A hitters. And I know it's low A and he's a college arm, but this was a guy that was coming out of the pen for a Division two school. So. Yeah. There's there's something here and it'll be interesting to see if the twins can unlock it. Yeah, I I do think it just kind of like tying the big league aspect into it. He's obviously the piece that'll put this trade over the top for Minnesota. He's the thing that it's like, hey, if he works out, we feel really good about making this deal in hindsight. I do think that the big league pieces will go a long way into making the twins feel good and sleep easy knowing that they traded an all-star caliber second baseman. If DiSclafani can be the five and they push Louis Varland to the bullpen, they probably feel good about that. If Topa is a good reliever again, they feel good about that. Gonzalez is the blue chip prospect that you got in return. But the, the thing that can make this a hindsight winner for Minnesota is probably Darren Bowen. No. Yeah. Just even if they can get a big league reliever out of it, I think it does make it you know a, a lot so, more intriguing. So then you get two effective big league relievers, a five for a year, and a top one hundred prospect at the yes. time. Fringe. Who top you could repackage prospect. later, or you know, or you 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 have you know in your system, he's still going to slot probably in the five spot for us in that Twins update uh, yeah. that'll be coming up in the in the next couple of weeks. But uh, the other thing is Bowen's curveballs. Again, I mentioned it briefly, but. The command of it was was pretty impressive. So so that part of it makes it interesting. Maybe he can be a starter as he builds up the workload and fills out. He's very skinny. He could fill out, get stronger, and all of a sudden 
you've got something special here. I know some some people in the industry uh, were very high on him. I know Jeff Pont specifically put out a tweet about him with Baseball America. I know Joe Doyle, who specifically covers the Mariners, put out some some things about Bowen and, and how much he liked him when the Mariners drafted him. So there's definitely uh, some some smart minds out there that do like what they've seen from Bowen thus far. I just want to go into the mind of Thad Levine. I want to ask him, it's like, hey, get me up to 100%, apply percentages of what you believe the value was on your return. And I bet yeah. Gabriel Gonzalez is probably 40% of the deal. Topa was 30, 25. Disclafani was another 20. And then Bowen that, was 15 to 20. Zero, especially given their financial constraints. I, I think Bowen is probably a, a higher percentage than Di Sclafani is. Yes. Right? And I think the only reason why the twins got Gonzalez was they said, look, we're trying to shed money. And I know there's yeah. some money was kicked over to the twins, but they're saying we're trying to shed money here. We're not if, when we trade Polanco, we don't want to bring money back. And the Mariner said, we'll kick you another prospect or we'll kick you a better prospect. Yeah. And we'll kick you a little bit of money. And, and that's how they were able to make it happen. So great deal for both sides. Speaking yes. of a great deal for both sides, we're going to talk about Colt Keith's extension before his debut but before that a quick break all right so nothing gets me more fired up than minor leaguers getting paid before they debut because Mm -hmm. i don't care about the risk for the team and generally it's a player that i don't think it's much of a risk for team and this is a perfect example of that right you get colt keith here for i And and no matter what the deal was, I feel like it was going to be a a good deal for for the Tigers just because no one's they have so much leverage in these negotiations. But I thought this was a a pretty good deal for a guy that's going to be limited to a mediocre second or third. It's all about the bat and he's put up really good numbers, but was hurt a lot in 2022. We were the high guys on Keith having him at number 66 in our top 100 entering the 2023 season because of what we saw from him, you know, when he returned from injury and and then, you know, just some of the things that I saw and I heard about him in spring training really gave him a lot of helium in in my eyes. And we, we pushed him up there at number 66. And the crazy part was even being the high guys with him at number 66, going into 2023, by the time we get to the mid season, we pushed him all the way up to the top 30. And so did everybody else, maybe not to 30, but, he was on, you know, in the middle of everybody's top 100 list. So that shows yeah. you how quickly he was able to really turn some heads and, and prove that he he's a dude. And clearly the work ethic, and you've talked about it because we, we've had him on for, you know, a, a brief conversation that you had with him at the ballpark. Definitely go check that out uh, if you want to hear a little bit more about just the psyche and, and the work ethic of a Cole Keith. But six years, 28.6 million dollars guaranteed here. I know. Give me every digit. Come on. You want to you want to do it? No, you do it. Do you remember uh, the three remaining? Twenty eight point six four two five. Yes. Wow. OK, yeah. That, I was like, am I going to have to try to go find this on spa track? Yeah. So no, I got it. That's it. OK. I don't yeah. know why there was the point six four two five. Uh, I'll tell you right now, the, the 2030 club option, if it is not exercised, then it turns into a $2.6425 million buyout. But so, why? Why 6.425? I don't know. And we made the joke on the Just Baseball show, like that 500 bucks is really important. That's that's a couple of haircuts. That might be 10 haircuts for Cold Keith. 
But the breakdown is age 2022 or age 22 season in 2024. He makes two and a half mil. He got two and a half mil to sign. I eh, maybe two mil to sign, um, but he makes two and a half in 24, three and a half in 25, four in 26 and 27. That is final year pre-arb and arb one. Arb two and arb three, he makes five apiece. He would have hit the open market at 28 years old, but there is that club option for 10, and then another club option for 13, and another club option for 15. So it can escalate to nine for $82 million. Yeah, and nine for 82 is, I mean, again, uh, you have the protection if you're the team that you could just decline those options, Scott Kingery style, who we're going to talk about. Right. But on the other side, it's very likely that they pick those up. And, and for a little bit of context here, Keith was a fifth round pick out of high school, really beloved for his feel to hit. And then he added a ton of impact and it was really an injury. I think a couple of nagging injuries that really encouraged him to, to just transform his body. And he did that and, and he became a physical beast, but he didn't lose the agility. He didn't, or I would say, Agility would probably be the wrong word. He, he didn't lose the adjustability and the malleability and the fluidity of, of his swing and his movement, which is huge, right? You, you still are fluid and adjustable with your swing, but now you just added impact. Sounds great to me. And the result was what he did in, in 2023 and what he did, you know, in parts of 2022, which those 48 games coming off of injury and, or, you know, with injury kind of sandwich in between. In high A, he slashes 301, 375, 44. That's a 150 WRC plus. So that was enough for them to say, hey, you know, in 2023, we're going to start you in in double A. And in double A, 59 games there as a 21-year-old. Stupid. 325, 391, 585 slash line. 23% K rate, 9% walk rate, 14 bombs. That's a 163 WRC plus. All right, Colt, you're going to triple A. Goes up to triple A. 67 games there. 287, 369, 521 slash line. Sees the strikeout rate drop by three and a half percent. Sees the walk rate jump by two and a half percent. 13 homers there, 119 WRC plus. But I, I don't look at WRC plus as much in AAA, especially for young guys, because the, just the numbers there were kind of stupid with how good the pitching was. And you had some 30 year olds, you know, that were just putting up video game numbers there that, that made it harder for younger players to, you know, have that WRC plus really reflect how impressive what they were doing was an 890 OPS should not only be 19% above league average, uh, right. especially we should almost have an age adjusted WRC <laughs> plus one of these days we'll, we can get into that. Um, I need to learn a little bit more about coding and Python and things like that, but all, all that to say he showed enough. He almost gave you a full season in AAA. He gave you 300 plate appearances. This is a perfect candidate to give this deal to the thing that's interesting though, is not the best defender. Uh, he's worked hard at it and he's gotten better, but he's going to be playing second for the tigers and he's going to be their opening day, second baseman. That's why they're paying him two and 2 million and change uh, this yeah. coming year. I love it. I get it. And we'll dive into the reasons why the tigers would do this with Keith and what makes him appealing other than what we just laid out numerically. But did this surprise you at all? Based on what you have come to understand as maybe the candidates for a pre-debut extension, right? like like Chorio yeah. is like Luis Robert, where it's just guys a freakazoid. You might have an MVP on, uh, you know, a, basically a heist of a contract, right? But there's some volatility there a little bit. But he's just so talented that you're like, I. Even if, if, if his 30th percentile outcome will still be a big leaguer in some capacity, we're fine. 
those guys, it makes sense. <clears throat> this, it makes sense with Keith, but did this catch you off guard at all? This felt like more of an outlier extension than I was expecting it to feel like when I saw it, because the whole thing that that you preached about Colt Keith is safety. You called him maybe the safest bat in the minor leagues. I want to extend safe. Absolutely. But I view safe in a different way. I almost never view the bat and offensive profile for anybody as safe because shit can hit the fan. Like all of a sudden a 20% K rate can turn into 30. If, if your swing gets out of whack and what do you do from there when you have defensive questions, the guys that like I would typically ID, and this is kind of leaking into the criteria conversation, but I want to, I want to stick to Keith right now. The guys that I would typically identify are ones that can make me the money back defensively. And he's not that guy, but what he will do is he will make them $28 million by flirting with 300 or flirting with 30 homers or flirting with 40 doubles. Like he's going to figure out a way to be a successful big league bat. And I think that they have enough of a sample to prove that if he didn't do it in AAA for four months, I would say, no, like it didn't make sense, but he did it in AAA for four months at 21 years old. Um, makes a ton of sense. Did you happen to listen to the clip that I, I tweeted out after that happened about him kind of pitting himself against numbers? Um, I've listened to it in the past. I haven't seen it since you put it out, but remind so, me on some I, of those details. I know he like had some crazy, crazy goals for himself. He had crazy goals and it was like, I want to hit 300 with 30 bombs and hundred driven in and like, okay. He got really close. Do you have like the standard numbers in front of you? Cause I think he hit 306 with 29 homers and he hit 306 with 27 bombs and 38 doubles. Okay. So he was three homers off of like actually doing it. Cause I think he drove in a hundred. Do you yeah. have RBIs in front of you? I do not have RBI in front of me. I can have RB, RBIs. RBI. RBIs. Um, I, I disagree. Man, it, it's just, it's weird because wouldn't it be RSBI if we were trying uh, to be overall like nice and all that? This guy had 101 driven in. Okay. So he was three homers off of his exact goals, 330 and 100. And he mentioned, and and I clipped it um, and put it out on Twitter. He mentioned, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm a very competitive person. I want to pit myself against other people that are my caliber and, you know, my level and all that. But it's so situational. We all play a different number of games and we play against different competitions. So the way that you compete in baseball is by competing with numbers. And yep. he wanted to beat numbers pretty mm -hmm. much. And you know what? He's kind of kicked numbers ass over the yeah. last two years. I mean, I suffice to say, like he's he's if you, if your goal is thirty home runs, which is an outrageous goal, by the way, especially when you're twenty one, twenty one and, and double and triple, double, yeah. double and triple, and I don't know how the environments are, and and I don't have like the park factors in front of me. I don't know how Toledo stacks up against some of the other ballparks in AAA, but normal. It's yeah, it's not like he was in some hitter friendly environments to to say the least. Like it, it was just kind of normal environments overall. Going into kind of what makes Keith, I think, and it'll bleed into the conversation. So we'll segue, you know, right from there into what what I would look for in, in those types of of, of deals uh, player wise, like who I'd be giving these to is you got to look at Keith and, and try to poke a hole in his offensive game because it's all about the bat, as we mentioned. Right. Try, try like try your best to poke a hole in his offensive game. And and here are the, the ways that I would try to do it. OK, does he swing and miss? 
the answer is already no. He, he had above average contact rates despite being younger, you know, at at more challenging levels. And we've seen the field of hit. He has a track record of it. And the swing is just is beautiful. How's the approach? It's really damn good. He specifically is more aggressive against fastballs and lays off of breaking balls really well. Chase rate below 25%. And when you get to breaking balls, even lower in the chase rate department. How does he hit lefties? Now, I don't want I don't want to platoon guy on a pre-arb deal usually, especially if he's not playing you know a premium position. He hit 306 overall. He hit 306 against lefties. Okay. How does he hit breaking balls overall? Uh he slashed 310, 394, 586 against breaking balls. All right. Uh, is the power going to translate in, in a ballpark where, dude, it's hard to hit it out there? Yeah. 90th percentile of 105, hits the ball in the air consistently, a ground ball rate of just 35%. And even if it's not getting out of the yard, it's all fields, gap to gap. He will find so much space out there. So, he hits lefties well. He hits breaking balls well. Maybe one of the more important prerequisites for me is, can he hit velocity? Because that's all you're going to see. And, and that's kind of the, the biggest risk is if you can't hit velocity, half the pitches you're going to see are fastballs. And the average fastball velocity is 94 miles an hour in Major League Baseball. Against 93 plus last year, Cole Keith hit 338, 409, 563. Like again, you said it. Anything can happen, but anything can happen to anybody at any time in baseball anywhere. You can you got to make your most educated gambles, and you cannot find a problem with him offensively. And that's why I think he's the perfect guy for this kind of deal, despite not having the defensive prowess. So that leads me into it. I think there's two buckets that you can put these pre-arb guys into. If it's the bat first guy. You got to attack it, I think, the way that we just did and and just try to find a hole in the offensive game. If you do, then I'm a little worried because there's not a lot of other ways that, you know, he can he can help you. Yeah. If it's another situation where you talked about the defense and that's something that you're more comfortable with, it's got to be a premium position. I don't care if you're an elite defender at second base. It's got to be shortstop center field, maybe third base, like a Cabrian Hayes type of situation. And of course, yeah. like catcher. But I'm, I, I don't think we're going to see a pre-arb deal for a catcher. Uh, usually those guys are going to have to debut and work with a big league pitcher and big league staff. Right. Like, Is there anything I'm missing here? Because I think for the, the defensive side of things, it's got to be a really good glove. And I still got to feel pretty darn good about the bat. It's got to be a really special glove at a premium spot. And I still got to feel pretty decent about the bat. But I almost feel safer with the Keith type sometimes because – on the other side, you're trying to figure out if that glove is going to translate the same way and if the bat's going to translate the same way. And if one doesn't, that guy's kind of a bench player for you. Whereas for Keith, maybe the bat doesn't translate totally the way you thought it would. He's still probably an everyday hitter for you. So yeah. that's the one side of it for me. So I want, and like my criteria is I want defensive versatility. I'd prefer defensive excellence at a premium spot, but in both the offensive and defensive bucket, I want to doomsday you and not be terrified of what I see when it comes to worst case scenario with Keith. What do you get worst case scenario defensively a below average second baseman or a below average third baseman? You're yeah. not getting a DH. You're getting a guy that can play second or third at a high level. No, but at a major league passable level. Yeah. Yes. And I can appreciate that. I'm looking at somebody like a Wyatt Langford to spoil like, the candidates that I would 
entertain extending. What is the worst case defensive ability for Wyatt Langford look like? An average defender in left field? Yeah, I would say like maybe like a guy that surprisingly grades a little below average in the corners where you're like, okay. Yeah. So you give me an average corner outfielder. Best case scenario is obviously a guy that can hit 40 homers and stay in center. But I want to look worst case. Um, there are other guys like Jordan Lawler. He turns into a top flight second baseman. Worst case scenario, probably. Maybe well, he loses a step or, and he's an or, above average. Or, yeah. or he plays superb defense at shortstop and is like an eight, nine hitter. Like he's Geraldo Perdomo. I think like that. that exactly. Like if it doesn't work, I think that's kind of a the one of the worst case scenarios is that he's something adjacent to Geraldo Perdomo. Like I, I don't see it being much worse than that. So I want to doomsday you and still see a four or five million dollar player. And I think that I can do that with several of those guys. I I don't love the idea of like a Pete Crow Armstrong because I doomsday him defensively and he's still a gold glove caliber center fielder, but I doomsday him offensively. And I'm like, I don't even know if you're a major league hitter. No, no, you're totally right. I mean, with the red flags there, I mean. Yeah, he's a fourth outfielder if, if the bat doesn't come along the way that we're hoping. It needs exactly. to just be league average. So I can understand trying it, but it's it's one of those situations where I'd rather wait and see. So for me, it's a blend of, okay, worst case scenario, I take your offensive production and your defensive production, and I think I'm going to get a two-win player yeah, or a one-and-a-half win player. And if I see that... I'm comfortable doing something like this with Colt Keith. And I think the lowest outcome you get from Colt Keith is a guy that is a 110 WRC plus and he's a one and a half two win player. And that's absolutely worth yeah. six you're, years for 20. You're not losing sweep on that at all. And, it, you know, you decline the option later then if, you know, but you're not, you're like, oh, $24 million for two wins a year. Like, that's fine. Uh, it's a lefty power bat. You're, you're, you're going to be fine with that. And then that is kind of the the lower end scenario what's interesting is what you described is scott kingery and i think that's why the phillies were intrigued and gave scott kingery this this uh, this offer which was what was the full breakdown of the deal it was i mean i know they just declined his 13 million dollar option uh this this past offseason but the intrigue to kingery was great on the base paths can play all over elite defender at second can plug it short can play the outfield all that good stuff right but then he gets to the big leagues and he kind of graded out as a below average second baseman at points. And you plug him at third. Yeah, the defense was, was, was fine there. You plug him at short. He was, he was fine there, I guess. Like it was fine defense in, in several different spots, center field. It was, it was fine. So, okay. Yeah. You had a nice utility piece, but at the end of the day and, and in today's sport, like you, you gotta hit, you just, you just have to. So yeah. unless you're, unless you're Tommy Edmond, where you're going to, and I think maybe they thought he was going to be Tommy Edmond. Yeah. I think when you're looking at those types, you got to really look at the data. Then how fast is he? How hard is he hitting the baseball? Like, how are these? Because Tommy Edmond hits the ball hard. And I don't think people like totally realize that. And he also flies and plays impactful defense at, at different spots. Kingery, it was like, okay, he can, he's got great bat to ball, but doesn't hit the ball as hard as I think people might've hoped he flies, but you can't steal first. And the, the defensive prowess maybe was not as he was versatile, but he wasn't elite anywhere. And that was kind of the problem. So I'd want a guy that, yes, I want you to be versatile, but I, I want you to be able to be elite at least one spot if we're not betting on the bat. Ultimately, for me, though, I, I think the hit tool is king. And that's going to be the biggest thing because that, that's what's going to translate. I think that's what's going to end up contributing yeah. to 
you being successful at the big league level. And when we talk about some of the players, like to, to wrap up the show of like who we would attack, you know, with these kind of offers and who we would potentially give it to. At the end of the day, I'm looking for for the safest hit tools with with enough impact. And then on the defensive side, I think it's it's got to be one of those situations where you have an elite defender that you can dream on offensive upside. So you can pallet the the volatility of offense like a Lawler, um, you know, or, or, or some of the other names that we might float here. But I, I struggle a little bit with like the defensive first identity with those guys, because there's a lot of really good defenders that like a Taylor Walls, man, like that guy's struggling to, to even give you a positive war. Um, and, and and that's where things can get a little bit difficult. I wanted to highlight one thing with Scott Kingery, because I think, of course, hindsight's 2020. And I wanted to look back and say, okay, what did they miss here? Maybe Scott Kingery, you know, just dealt with his own issues, dealt with certain things, or, or you know, there was probably more to the story. But if you look at it, he historically never walked. He was always very aggressive. And yeah. this is a dude that ran a 35% chase rate, even in his best seasons. Uh, and I think that started to catch up to him at, at the higher levels. So you love this too. And this is a big part of it. If you're not an elite bat to ball guy, he was a good bat to ball guy. I think the hit tool also got upsold. Contact rates were, 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 were slightly above average to above average. If you walk a ton, I feel better too. Yeah. So he doesn't, didn't walk at all. The hit tool was closer to above average than plus the impact was average and the defense is value is versatility. That's a good player. That's not a pre arb guy. And I think that's, that's where they, they chase the results more than the underlying data and info that was provided, I think. So good defender, doesn't walk at all, chases a ton, who is still worth a pre-debut extension. Luis Robert. Why? Because he's an alien life form. Yes. Like Kingery's not an alien life form. No. So if you don't fit the bucket of, hey, I know worst case you're going to get on base at a 320 clip, you better be an alien. And that is Luis Robert, who won a gold glove, who, you know, should have won rookie of the year in 2020, that kind of thing. He hasn't been healthy. He chases everything. He walks at maybe a 4% clip. But guess what? He's going to run into 30 and he's going to play elite defense. You need something to be elite at some point. And Kingery, like some of it was good, but did they really close their eyes and see elite at any point? No, That's they shouldn't have. Is is if the ceiling is is very good or the ceiling is really solid, then don't do this. Then don't yeah. do a pre-arb deal. The pre-arb deal should be where you can dream on. The All ceiling star. is we're robbing you. The ceiling yes. is, oh my God, they, they're paying that for Ozzy Albies? Are we serious? And then the floor, you know, you're hoping is is kind of what we talked about with Colt Keith. But yeah, that's the thing too, is if you're taking, if you're incurring risk, don't you want to have a lot of upside? It's like, why would I, you know, invest in a, in a volatile stock that, you know, has a target price that's not that high, right? Like I want, I, yeah, I want people like, telling me that I beat the system if yeah. this all goes according to plan. And like, they're angry at me because I beat the system so yes. well. And that never could have happened with Kingery. Or, or Evan White, right? Like, no, never. Evan White didn't have the impact. And then he's at a position like first base. That's another one that I didn't get, right? If Evan White was 
putting up EVs of 110 as a 90th percentile exit velocity. And, you know, and and I know he was a great defender at first. I don't care. Uh, that was another one that just didn't make sense to me. Cause like, what's the worst case scenario? A glove first, first baseman. What's the best case scenario? 25 bombs, you know, and like a decent batting. Like I just, I, I didn't understand that one. And, and now we're seeing, I think teams get away from that. And they're really only doing it with the guys that have massive upside, or you could do a really cheap one, you know, a cheaper deal with, with a guy that, you know, could be the Kingery type, but let's wrap yeah. up with just like some of the players that you would give the deal to. It doesn't have to be at this present moment. It could be if they had the year that you think that they're going to have in 2024 as well. Uh, who, who are some names that kind of come to mind for you uh, when, when you think about that? So number one by far is Wyatt Lankford. And the last piece of criteria for me is I need a blend of hit and power that is rare. Yes. And Colt Keith has a blend of hit and power that is rare. Lankford has that too. Lankford has 40 to 45 homer potential, but guess what? He punched out 15% of the time between high A and double A. I want a guy that, Worst case scenario turns into a three true outcome guy and still has the chance for 30 or he leans into the other side of it and he doesn't punch out and he runs into enough to hit a bunch of doubles. Um, Langford is so far and away the number one option for me. Mm-hmm. I Which would, is why he would never take one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This guy's going to make three. And, and that's a tough part, too. The, the very obvious guys like they might not take it. I think like a junior right. common arrow might, you know, but. You never know. He might just say, no, I'm not going to take it either. Uh, but Camonero yeah. is another guy that it's like the power is a little bit above the hit, but it's average hit and then elite power. That's enough. That's unique enough for me on the left side of the infield. That's another guy that, you know, I, I think if Wander's contract gets voided, funnel most of that money over to to Camonero and, and, and give him a, a pre-arb deal because that's a guy, too, that I just even if he doesn't hit enough, you can't. You, you can't find 110, you know, 90th percentile exit velocity very often and, and while also being able to, to play a good third base and even plug in at shortstop. Uh, even if the average is closer to 240, that guy's going to hit you 30 bombs and he's going to walk as he continues yeah. to get better with his approach. I wouldn't blink at one with with Caminero either. So another guy for me is Kobe Mayo with Baltimore. I think Mayo fits this perfectly because best case forms into a good third baseman that hits 30 to 35 homers and drives in 110, 115. Worst case scenario, you're getting 25 homers from a guy that's going to play a good first base because he figured out a way to play third base. Like I, I think this the floor is so high for a guy that has a ton of power in Mayo. And he also strikes me as a guy that may take it because Holiday may say, oh, I'm going to ball out for six years and go get $300 million. Gunnar Henderson, looking more and more likely he's going to hit the open market. Adley Rutschman, looking more and more likely he's going to hit the open market. You may be running out of options, and I think Mayo is a very safe and good option. And he walks. And again, I think you got to always look at like the range of outcomes. Okay, he strikes out more than I thought. Okay, well, he hits the ball in the air as much as anybody he hits the ball hard as hell. He can, he's not limited to first, as you mentioned, and he walks. Sounds good to me. And then you're also betting on, on the person too. And I think makeup is a huge part of it also. That's why I would, I mean, everybody would give Evan Carter, you know, a pre-arb deal, but he's, he's all obviously in a position now where right. he's not going to do that. He's also already debuted, but I, it's funny. Cause now I look at some of the other names and it gets interesting because you could look at like a Roman Anthony. And I, I think he makes a ton of sense because the bat to ball is great. Uh, the, the, he has the ability to stick in center. He put up unbelievable numbers in double A. But even then, 
are, are you waiting? He's right on the edge for me, a Roman Anthony, where you could end up making out like a bandit. Yeah. But I don't know if we've seen just enough, enough yet. What, where would you would you go with Roman Anthony or no? I I wouldn't. I haven't seen enough in the upper levels yet. This guy has yet to make his AAA debut. I want a guy, and I'm going to go against it in a, in a moment. But I want a guy that is already proven himself at both the upper levels in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I, I would say the one reason why I would consider Anthony is that he he did put up good numbers in in a cup of coffee and double, and doesn't chase. And hits the living crap out of the ball, but big trouble. You know, if you look at the, the numbers against secondary stuff, not big trouble, but he was a young hitter against secondary stuff. And that could rear its head a little bit more at the upper level. So, yeah, it's a guy that you're probably waiting and seeing a little bit more. I'm going to buck our trending. This is a guy that I would do it in two seconds, but you know this because it's the number one hit tool in the minor leagues for me. But Adel Amador, I know that he doesn't really check all the boxes that we talked about. In yeah. terms of he's going to play second base, a good second base. You could probably play shortstop in a pinch. I also think you could throw him in at third in a pinch. So he does give you at least the versatility. But for me, I think that the bat to ball is is up there with, with anybody in, in, in the minor leagues. And I think the second he gets to the big leagues can be up there with anybody. His contact rates in the zone, out of the zone are unbelievable. His approach is unbelievable. And then you look at the, the EVs way higher than you know, it's, it's, it's not elite EVs, but it's above average or at least average that's way higher than almost any other hitter that you're going to find in his contact bucket and in his profile bucket. Then you add the switch hitter. Then you add to the fact that he's always been ahead of his years uh, in terms of the levels that he's been playing. And I've heard nothing but unbelievable things about the makeup. That's a guy that I would bet on just because the hit tool is just so much of an outlier that I'd feel very safe, especially in Colorado that he's going to be a, a good hitter. Like that's just a guy that I would comfortably buy a ton of stock in. And I know that he was a little bit shaky at the end of the year. He was hurt, came off the IL, playing a double A. And then I think he's going to put up crazy numbers this coming year. I wouldn't blink at an offer for, for Amador. And I, I, think, I think he's a guy that we probably could see that deal happen with as he performs this year. Yeah, I like it. One more guy for me. And I don't want to call this a cardinal rule, but the overall rule for me is never offer a pre-debut extension to a pitcher. Mm-mm. Unless they're perfect. And we've got a perfect pitcher in the minor leagues for this. He's simple. He throws strikes at will. And on a pitch-by-pitch basis, have we ever seen a guy look like he could be a big leaguer more than Paul Skeens at this point? I do think that Skeens, like, the Reds bought out one year on the open market of Hunter Green. They are a small market team. The Pirates are a small market team. How valuable is that year on the open market going to be for Skeens? I think very valuable. Yeah. Does he sign it? No, I don't think so because he just got $9 million as a signing bonus. But do I entertain the offer? Yes, I do. Because what does the worst version of Paul Skeens look like? Okay, 102 ticks down to 100. Okay, the slider goes from an, a 75-grade pitch to a 65-grade pitch. Yeah. like It's it, he is <laughs> there's, just, wanna, there's just no world unless his his arm falls off you know the knock on wood yeah, but that, like how's it gonna fall off he's 6'6 250 and he yeah. has the the regiment of like a literal like air force cadet like it's no, insane I, i'm with you I, I i would do that to buy out a year or two i wouldn't 
honestly, like both parties, I think you just you just do that and and it would be fair. I think if you're going to talk pitchers too, the only other name I would consider is Job because of his arsenal across the board. His injury was a back thing that he talked about. They were super cautious with came back throwing harder and he's healthier and, and cleaner delivery than he's ever had. And that's a guy that will be big league ready this coming year. I, again, I would never do it with a pitcher, but if I were to do it with one, other than Skeens, it would be it would be somebody like Jackson Job, where fills up the strike zone, four pitches that are all good, athletic as could be, not, hasn't had specific arm issues. Again, it was just the back, so not as many miles on his arm either because they were so cautious with him, and he looked fantastic down the stretch. One more name, and it will really depend. It would have to be at the end of this year. Kyle Teal. The cheapo Red Sox nowadays. Yeah. Teal is so good defensively. And I know catchers are kind of a no-no too. But Teal is so good defensively and already has a, a hit tool that looks like plus to me. Uh, okay, plus hitter with great defense. Even if he doesn't slug, that's a good catcher. We know how hard it is to find good catchers. We talked about like the Gabby Moreno similarities there. Like, sign me up. I'd do that in two seconds. If he performs in double A this year and, and gets a taste of triple A, I think Teal is another guy that could be an easy target for that. And, you know, knowing how cheap the Red Sox are, they'd probably do that. Say we've got catcher locked up now for the next eight years and can allocate that money elsewhere. Worst case scenario, he's a seven hitter. Catchers are seven, eight hitters. A left-handed hitting seven hitter that makes a lot of contact and plays great defense. Sign me up for that. For a team that has been saddled with Connor Wong and Reese McGuire for the last two years, and we're going to yeah. enter year three of the Connor Wong and Reese McGuire thing, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So look at us going with a, a pitcher and a catcher at the end of this after we're hey, like, no yeah, pitchers, always no come catchers. around. Always got to come around. And then like to, to give an example, though, of, of one exception before we wrap up, Sedan Rafaela. It sounds interesting. He's one of the best defensive center fielders you're going to see, but I just don't think he's worth it because... The floor is, oh my gosh, is this guy going to hit enough or is he going to swing at everything and just frustrate the hell out of me? And the ceiling is really good defensive center fielder, elite defensive center fielder who, you know, is an above average bat. That's a really good player, but the ceiling isn't, you know, perennial all-star. I'm not willing to take on that risk for not as much reward. And that's kind of where he sits there. We'll continue to monitor this. Like, I think we should do something as the season goes on. If someone is now entered pre- pre-arb or pre-debut through like territory for you. You just mention it on the pod as we go through the season. Like this guy just entered pre pre uh, debut extension conversation for me. And we cool. can do that. Um, one other programming note, we're going to be continuing to go through the, the team top prospect list and the positional top prospect lists. Also something I'm just kind of like kicking the tires on, but I, I'm just, as you know, listening to just, if you follow just baseball, listen to the show, listen to anything that we do. We take a lot of pride in not putting things behind a paywall. I, I understand that that's a necessity for a lot of outlets out there to, to survive and to be able to, to pay their staff and things like that. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's been difficult to, to monitor, like to maneuver the way that we have with, without putting things behind a paywall. But that was the genesis of why we did this. We wanted to make information as accessible as possible to everybody. Uh, Cause I was a broke college kid trying to figure out which subscriptions were worth it. Um, and, and a lot of them are, and, and most of them are. There's some really good sites that I encourage people to subscribe to. But something that we've been kicking the tires on is a bonus episode of the call up when the season gets closer, where yeah. it'll often, you know, you might not always be you, Jack. Sometimes it'll just be me, but basically giving you everything that's going on in the minor leagues, almost like a heat sheet 
keep you up to date with everything you need to know. Um, and then some of my personal takeaways, thoughts, it's not going to take away from anything on the actual show. We will never withhold any information on the show, but there's always more that I want to talk about. If you can't tell, we already go over an hour every single episode. There's always more that I want to say, always more that I want to get into, um, yeah. but I just don't have the time to do it. I wanted to do it, you know, because we've had people clamoring for more. We're still going to do two to three episodes during the season, but I'd be happy to do it on the weekends if we do a bonus subscription model and I'm able to use some of those funds to, you know, keep upping the the production value of the show and keep investing into, you know, what we're doing on, on the prospect side. So honestly, if you want to give me feedback, if people would be interested in that, like it's definitely something we're considering. Let us know in the YouTube comments, shoot me a DM. Um, if, if you want to, bonus episode, like a bonus episode every week and what you might want out of that. Because again, I only want to do it if it's something that everybody wants and that, you know, we do in a way that it checks all the boxes of what people feel like is missing from their coverage. Cause it already still feels weird for me to have like a subscription based anything. So I want to make sure that it's worth everybody's while if we do that. Makes sense. All right. That'll do it for this episode. We'll be talking Yankees prospects with you next. Actually, shortstop, top shortstop prospects, Mm -hmm. then Yankees prospects probably next week. As always, thank you for listening. Any rating helps us grow the show. Looking forward to hearing your feedback on YouTube and or on Twitter DMs. And we will talk shortstop prospects with you later this week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.